0: Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Well, his film career started in, with the 1984 horror film A Nightmare on Elm Street. He's also appeared in such movies as Platoon, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Public Enemies. He starred as the title character in Cry Baby, Edward Scissor's Hand, and What's Eating Gilbert Grape. He played the Mad Hatter in Alice in Wonderland. He starred in The Tourist, The Rum Diary, Dark Shadows, and The Lone Ranger, and Transcendence. He was Captain Jack Sparrow in all of the Pirates of the Caribbean series, He was in the news a lot last summer when he won a defamation case against Amber Heard worth $15 million. You probably know by now I'm talking about Johnny Depp. In an interview with Rolling Stone magazine, the topic came up about the meaning of life. What what is life all about? And in that interview... Depp said, I'm not sure life is supposed to mean anything at all. As long as you have an opportunity to breathe, then breathe. I think we're here, and then that's kind of it. Then it's dirt and worms. And that's his view on what life means and what the afterlife is about. Now, if Johnny Depp is on one end of the spectrum, I want to talk to you today about somebody who was on the entire other end of the spectrum. A man who actually has a book of the Bible named after him. His name was Job. And he lived a thousand years before Jesus ever lived. He suffered deeply. He didn't have it all together, so to speak, like Johnny Depp did. Although early in his life, he was probably the richest man living at that time. But, but he experienced incredible suffering, yet in the middle of his suffering, he made an affirmation that's we're gonna focus on today. It's found in Job chapter 19, verses 20 to, to 25 to 27, and I wanna Read those at this point. Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Some of you might be thinking, why are we talking about Job on Easter? As I mentioned, he lived a thousand years before Jesus, and though his words are a little off of the beaten path for a day like Easter Sunday, hopefully you will see that they are exceedingly appropriate for us as we think about resurrection and we think about what that means. Now, in the middle of all of his troubles, and he had many, he had more than most of us will ever have. He made this great statement, I know my Redeemer lives. So let me set the background. This is on your outline sheet there. The background is that Job was the richest man living in his time, but he lost almost everything, and he was even being attacked by his counselors, his so-called friends. And in the middle of a real struggle... He made an amazing expression of faith, and that is an expression that is still very relevant to us today. So what about Job? Who is this Job? He was rich. He had a wife, he had ten children, and those were the good days for Job. But one day, a series of messengers came to Job with some announcements. Raiders had stolen all the animals and killed the farmhands. The sheep and the shepherds were burned to death. Another group of raiders came and stole the camels and killed the servants. And, and then it got worse. Another messenger came and reported that all of his children were eating together and a violent wind swept in and Destroyed the house in which they were sitting, and all of them died. My wife and I have three adult sons and seven grandchildren through those sons that we love incredibly. Two more on the way, by the way. <laughs> I cannot imagine. I, I just... I can't even fathom a messenger coming to tell me that all of my children were gathered in one place and they all died suddenly. Can you? This is Job. He was suffering and he had real struggles and he didn't always trust God completely We're not holding up Job today and saying everything about Job was perfect, that he never was in process, or he never had to grow, or he never had to learn. We find when we come to chapter 19 of Job that he's going through a real struggle. He was irritated because of the attacks of his counselors, and he felt abandoned by God. In fact, verses 6 to 12 show us that Job felt that these Things, these life events were an attack by God. He also was alienated from his family and friends who remained. In verses 13 to 20, he blamed God for alienating his family and friends, even his wife. And yet, coming to verse 21 to 27, we see an expression of faith. In the middle of all of this, we see a faith in someone who will ultimately vindicate him. In the middle of all of this suffering, he said, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, he will stand on the earth. The message this morning is going to, to focus on these verses, in particular, those three Highlighted words, my Redeemer lives. Now it's a fair question to ask, how does this connect to Easter? How does this connect to Easter? I'm glad you asked that question. There was no human way that Job, when he lived, could have fully understood everything about Jesus Christ that you and I understand today. He he couldn't have understood it all. It wasn't all revealed to him yet. But he made this expression of faith. He exhibited faith in God. He believed that God would vindicate him. And all of Scripture ties together. All of Scripture is united. And in this case, Job was expressing his faith even though he didn't fully understand all of the implications. In other words... He spoke better than he knew. He spoke better than he knew. His very words, his very words picture and prophesy not just about an immediate redeemer, not just about someone who's going to vindicate him from his own suffering in that moment, but he's looking beyond, he's prophesying beyond to an ultimate redeemer who will be the Redeemer of the world and will live and bring vindication. Well, we need to ask the question, what was a Redeemer, right? If we're using a word like that, it's not a word we typically use all the time in our society. So, what was a redeemer? In short, a redeemer was someone who stepped in to help or rescue a relative that was in need in the time of the Old Testament. So, let's suppose you lived in the Old Testament, you were Hebrew, and you lost your inheritance. You couldn't you you couldn't pay for your mortgage. Maybe uh maybe the husband died and now the wife and children were left and they they had no way to, to make the payments, and they were going to lose their land. So a kinsman redeemer, a redeemer would step in and pay off the mortgage and then give them back the land so they could stay there. Or maybe in some cases the kinsman redeemer would actually marry the widow so that there could be a legitimate heir heir. This is what happened, for instance, in the Old Testament with the characters of Ruth and Boaz. Job was pretty desperate. His health was gone. His family was gone. The acceptance of his friends was, was gone. And he only had one thing left. His body. That was his inheritance. And he believed that God would redeem it one day. That he would see God one day. So the Redeemer in the Old Testament affected physical redemption. But also in the Old Testament, there was a concept and an image, not just this kind of redemption, but that God himself provided spiritual rescue and spiritual redemption. So for instance, Exodus chapter 6, verses 5 and 6 Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. God is speaking in the context in which his people are being held as slaves in Egypt. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. So this is what we might picture Job doing. Job is looking out ahead. He doesn't see the answers right now. He's suffering right now. Life is miserable right now for Job. But he looks out ahead and he sees and expresses faith in a Redeemer. Again, no way he could have fully understood. But if you look far enough out through uh, Job's telescope, you're going to see Jesus. You're going to see the one who ultimately fulfilled Job's words. And there are three ways that Job's faith was fulfilled in Jesus Christ And let me mention them to you now. These are on the outline. First of all, Jesus is a perfect redeemer. I know that my redeemer lives. Paul the Apostle wrote in Colossians chapter 1, talking about God, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. That's Jesus. In whom? In Jesus We have, read that word with me, redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Just like that person in the Old Testament who couldn't pay the bills, who couldn't keep up with the mortgage, who was about to lose their inheritance, physically, spiritually, we're that way. The Bible says we're all that way. We can't pay the bill enough to satisfy God. There's wrong in our life that the Bible calls sin. And so we need redemption. We need somebody to rescue us from darkness. Somebody who rescues us from guilt. In fact, if you read different things about the word redemption, the concept of redemption in the New Testament, Titus 2 says we're rescued from wickedness. Galatians 3, rescued or redeemed from guilt and first Peter one redeemed from an empty way of life. So it, it might look like this. God is separated from sinful human beings. He is in heaven and we are sinful. And people who are first of all sinful, that's all of us. We have done wrong and been separated from God. And we are sinful. We are separated and often we are trying. People are trying to get to God in some way. They think maybe if I just treat people nicely or I give some money to the poor, feed the homeless, don't rob any banks, maybe go to church every now and then, maybe I'm baptized or confirmed or turn over a new leaf or whatever it might be, people think that somehow we're going to be able to get to God. But the problem is we can't get there. (laughs) Nobody is good enough to get there. And so we need somebody to pay our price for us, and that's where Jesus comes in, and we are forgiven through the cross, through his death on the cross. He forgives our sins. He redeems us. Jesus is a perfect redeemer. Secondly, Jesus is a living redeemer. Job said, I know my redeemer lives. Obviously, a redeemer had to be alive in order to do his job. It wouldn't do any good to say, oh, so-and-so is going to be my redeemer, but then they die before redemption needs to happen, right? That meant something to Job. And look how much more it means to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Easter, in my opinion, is the greatest day of the year because it's the day that we remember Jesus is alive. It's not dead. It's not just some fact in history. 2,000 years ago, he is somebody who is alive. Well, how do we know he actually rose from the dead? How do we know that this isn't just something that Christians want to just hold on to, some blind leap of faith or something like that? Well, let me just summarize. We could go long, long, long on this. But basically, whenever we're trying to figure out if something really happened, if we want to find out who was the first president of the United States or who... uh, who won the war between A and B? We, we, we wanna, historians start looking for eyewitnesses. Did anybody see it? And the Bible has eyewitnesses. It records eyewitnesses. And one of the most important things about it is many of these witnesses were women. The very first witnesses were women on Easter morning. You say, well, why does that matter? Well, in the first century Jewish courts, Women's testimonies were not valid. So think about this. If you were just going to make this up, if you were an early follower of Jesus Christ and he was dead and he was still in the tomb and you you wanted to pretend somehow that he had risen from the dead and so you were going to write an account about it, which ultimately is going to end up in our Bible, if you were going to write that down, if you lived in an era when women's testimonies were was not accepted... Would you have made women the first people to see him? Absolutely not. The reason why the Bible records that women were the first people to see him is because women were the first people to see him on Easter morning. It was the facts and whether it fit their culture or not, this is what happened. So you have women, you have Peter, you have the 11 disciples, you have two people on the road to Emmaus, you have more than 500 people at one time, as we, as I read in 1 Corinthians, you had James, all the apostles, and Paul. Secondly, you have reliable historical documents. You know, we we don't live now. Now we depend on documents, right? You open your Bibles and they're printed in English, but it was written, the New Testament portion was written in Greek. And so we need to ask the question is, in what I'm reading now, is it an accurate reflection of what the people wrote when it was, when it was written? Great question. Now, we're not going to have any special pleading here. If you submit the Gospels to the same set of criteria that you set any set of documents to, they come out with flying colors. So some of that criteria would include consistency. Internal consistency with each account, right? Each person needs to say something and not say something different themselves later, but also intra-consistency among the different accounts. Parents, we do this all the time with our children, right? Well, you might not do it all the time. Your children might be perfect. But we had a few instances with these three wonderful boys who were full of testosterone and competitiveness we had many times when something wrong had been done and everybody knew it, but nobody would admit who did it. In fact, I remember we had the, the, this case of the missing shovel. One of my shovels got missing somehow. And two of the boys were disputing about who actually took it out of the garage and took it and lost it and this and that and the other. And I was hearing different stories. And so we had a little court case in our living room out Oldest son actually went and got his bathrobe, and he was the judge, and he <laughs> called for the witnesses. <laughs> Parents have to sort through, is the, is the testimony consistent? Do they say the same thing every time, and is it consistent among them? And in the case of Scripture, check, check. Notice, it doesn't mean that they're identical. You know, there are four accounts. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in fact, modern detectives, uh, when they're uh, interviewing witnesses and they're trying to build a case and they want to know what really happened, they aren't looking for the same exact story from every single witness. They don't want every witness to say the same exact thing because then they suspect collusion, right? Right? So what they're looking for is that each witness is truthful and accurate and consistent in themselves and with the others. And the Gospels meet this criteria. And then there has to be corroboration. You know, there has to be some surrounding evidence that matches what is being said. So, for instance, you have children. Let's just call them Luke and Megan. Luke says Megan spilled the soda. Big soda stain, you know, on the carpet. Luke blames Megan. Megan says no. And then you know that Megan never even drinks soda. And you find an empty soda can in Luke's trash can in his room. That would be some corroborating, condemning evidence in that case, right? Well... The biggest corroborating evidence I'm getting ready to mention in a minute is the empty tomb. And we'll come back to that one. Another one is accuracy. Is our present account an accurate rendition of what the original eyewitnesses made in their account? And this is huge for us because we live a couple thousand years after the facts. And the only way that we can have confidence in them is if, if, if we have accurate written accounts. And on this note, the New Testament is far superior than any other document in, in antiquity in terms of the number of manuscripts and the uh, the agreement among the manuscripts and the, uh, uh, the, the the closeness in time of the manuscripts to the actual event. It's just not even a close. It's not even a close second. So we have eyewitnesses. We have reliable historical documents. We have the disciples transformed. Think about it. These followers of Jesus were discouraged, they were defeated, they thought their life was over, or at least their following Jesus was over, they didn't know what to do, they were going to go back fishing or whatever, and here they were, they were discouraged, they were defeated, and something happened to them. Something happened to them that changed them from defeated, discouraged people, so that they would become bold witnesses for Jesus, and they would go right into Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Right then Jerusalem and announce Jesus is alive. Guess what? He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. Jesus is alive. They were changed. And that is a, an argument for the resurrection of Jesus. And then I mentioned it, the empty tomb. There's, there's no other explanation for the empty tomb. I mean, there were large, large stones weighing two tons each that had to be rolled in place with levers and it guarding that tomb. And, and Roman soldiers were guarding it. And think about it. If, if the disciples went out into Jerusalem and in the area and said, hey, we got great news for you. This Jesus that you saw die... A couple of days ago, he, he rose. He's alive. If he were still in the tomb, don't you think somebody would have said, well, let's just go down to that tomb and see. Right? Of course they would have. And the reason why they couldn't do that because there was nobody left in that tomb. The empty tomb is a great proof of the resurrection of Jesus. First Corinthians 15, Paul said, if Christ has not uh, been raised your faith is futile you are still in your sins then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost if only for this life we have hope in Christ we are of all people most to be pitied but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who fall asleep Christ is risen <laughs> the third way that job's great affirmation is fulfilled in jesus christ is that jesus is a personal redeemer job used the word my my redeemer this makes it personal for job and hopefully for us and so here's the most important question today for you here is the most important question today for you do you have this same hope Do you have this same belief in Jesus Christ? Do you have this same trust? Have you you come to the point in your life where you have said, I believe in you, I will follow you with all of my life. I know that I'm sinful and I'm separated and I need you. Do you have the same hope? Now, let me be clear. The way Jesus became our Redeemer was by purchasing our salvation. Redemption wasn't free. It wasn't free in the Old Testament. It wasn't free for him. He paid for it. We were separated from God. We had no heavenly inheritance, but he became our Redeemer by what he did on the cross, and he wants to be personal with you even today. Hope in the resurrection is, is the centerpiece. I I love the analogy that that Tim Keller gives. He says this: Think of Christ's resurrection as a store receipt. If you're in a department store and you buy some clothes, you should always ask for the receipt. This is interesting. I uh, side note: This is not Keller. This is me talking now. Uh, I don't shop very much, mostly online, but I did go in a store this week to return something and I didn't have a receipt. I just had it in the bag. And I I was nervous that somebody was going to come up to me and, and, and look in there and ask for the receipt. So Keller says, always ask for the receipt when you buy it, because if you're still walking around the store, a plainclothes security person could stop you and ask, excuse me, can I look in your bag? And if you don't have a receipt, you could get in trouble. So if somebody stops you, you want to be able to hold up your receipt and say, Oh, plainclothes security person, trouble be not. Because this proves that this has been paid for and I don't have to pay for it again. And he says the resurrection is a giant receipt stamped across history for all people to see. A receipt that allows you to know that your future is certain if you believe in Jesus Christ. Job was in a horrible place. He was in a suffering place, but he affirmed in the middle of that his faith in a redeemer. What about you? Is it personal for you? You know, we don't need to be redeemed from the same thing Job needed to be redeemed from necessarily. There may not be a loss of property. There may not be a loss of children. But But hopefully it's clear from the Bible today that all of us, every human being, is created by God and valued by God and loved by God, but also very broken and sinful because we have chosen to walk away from God. And we need salvation. We need redemption. We need forgiveness. So today, even if you've never opened your heart and life to jesus christ fully in faith that can happen today you can start following him today he offers salvation to you today and some of you are followers of jesus you're believers and there are a lot of hard things in your life you might be facing illness serious illness loss of loved ones rough situations in life, broken relationships. You might be facing things that you don't know how to deal with or where to turn. And today is a day to lift our eyes up to God and say, I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. For years, a boy and his father have been going down to the lake to sail a little model, different model boats. They loved, they, they lived near this pond and it just a small pond, but they, they loved going there, taking, taking these, these various boats and, and sailing them. The boy got to be 10 years old and he said to his father... I want to build my own boat. I want to build a special boat. And his dad said, sure, I'll help you all whatever. But the boy bought the materials uh, w- with, his own, with his own money that he had been saving up. He bought you know the wood that he needed and so forth. And he and he built a boat and he named it Beauty. <laughs> and inscribed the letters beauty on the boat because he thought it was just such a beautiful thing to go down and watch this boat that he had built sail on this little pond. One day, the wind blew especially hard and the boat started getting away from them and there was a place where the pond joined in with a fast rushing stream and they were concerned that, oh, no, we might lose the boat. So the boy ran around the shoreline to try to get there before the boat would get into the stream. But he what, he couldn't get there in time. And the boat took off. And the boy was very sad about that. The next day, the father and the son went all along that stream a long way to see if they could find that boat. But they never were able to find the boat. And so the father said, hey, what? Why don't, why don't you build another one? No. The boy said, I don't, I want beauty. <laughs> I, I don't want another boat. So they kind of put it on hold and that summer they found other things to do, fun things to do, but it still wasn't the same. And so summer became fall and fall became winter and you would have thought it would have been forgotten about, but that spring, the father and the son were walking into their little town and they come up to a store that is a resale shop. They look in the window and there's, the boy says, I think that's my boat. And the father like gets up near the glass and said, no, I don't think so because it was, it was gray and the paint was kind of chipped. Uh, it, it, the mast was broke the sails were torn and there were little pirate flags and he said I don't, I don't think that's your boat but the boy was kind of insistent so they went in the store anyway and he looked at it and as he got close to it and looked at it he could see under some of that chipped paint the letters B-E-A and that was his boat so they went to the store manager and they said look here's what happened this was my boat And it got away from us. Can we have it? And the store manager said, well, I don't know about that. All I know is the boat is for sale. So if you, if you want to buy the boat back, you can buy it. And the son is like, Dad, can we buy the boat? Can we buy the boat? And he's like, well, I don't know, son. This boat is all beat up. It's probably not going to sail. And, but the boy was insistent. And the boy said, I'll take some of my money. The father's like, well, no, you've been saving for such and such. He said, no, I'll, I'll do it. So the boy bought the boat back, took it home. They restored it, repaired it, and it sailed again. <laughs> you know what that boy did? He redeemed that boat. He took something. That belonged to him. That was broken. And not working. And not functional. And with his design, his heart, his sacrifice. He restored it. And he transformed it. Redemption is a beautiful thing. And Easter. Is a great thing. Because God. We're not talking about. Redeeming and restoring things like boats. God restores people. God redeems people. He buys us back. He pays the price for us on the cross. And he says, come to me, all of you who are burdened. And I will give you rest. And if you do that today, if you put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone as you're turning away from a life of sin and trusting in Him to be your Savior, you can be redeemed. And you can say with Job, I know that my Redeemer lives. So Easter won't be just a holiday. It'll be real. And if you're a believer... Whatever brokenness life has right now, let's know that though God may not promise to take us off of all the brokenness now, He is our Redeemer and He lives. And one day we're going to see His face. Let's bow our heads, please. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, HarvestCharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.